Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello? Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Deep Dish Radio, episode 12. Bruce Sedano and his new album, The Burbank Sessions. Hey, welcome back to Deep Dish Radio. I'm Tim Powers. Today's guest, songwriter Bruce Sedano. Uh, if... If he only ever wrote Bad Girls for Donna Summer, that would be enough for some people. But instead, he's written hit records for Reba McIntyre, for Michael Jackson, for Dolly Parton. Even Robert Palmer has covered some of his songs. He was a member of Brooklyn Dreams, which recorded Heaven Knows, the monster runaway hit that was everywhere uh, when, it, uh, when it was at top of the charts. Uh, he wrote Tighter Tighter for Alive and Kicking, a band that, uh, that he fronted. Uh, and today, Bruce is here to talk about... His life, his life, and his his compositions, and how he got to where he is today. Bruce, of course, is uh, the husband of disco queen, undisputed queen of disco, Donna Summer, and uh, that's Donna's voice you hear on Heaven Knows. Of course, he wrote Bad Girls for her, and uh, we lost Donna in 2013. Bruce took a look around and said, well, this could be the end of my life as I know it, but instead, I'm an artist. I choose to create, and that's exactly what he did, and he has gone back into the studio to record two albums, the most recent of which is called The Burbank Sessions, and it is, instead of a uh, super-produced disco hit or an AM, uh, AM 70s hit record, it's just Bruce and a guitar and a rhythm section, you know, bass and drums, and it is uh, stripped down, it is singer-songwriter to the, to the extreme. And it is a very, very good album. So uh, I encourage you, after you hear this interview, to check out Bruce's album, The Burbank Sessions, wherever you buy your music. In addition, if you like what you hear on Deep Dish Radio, please tell a friend. Uh, subscribe to the show. We'd love that. And uh, if you really, really like what you hear, head over to iTunes. Leave me a review. I think that would be fantastic. It would help me attract guests. It would help me attract a bigger audience. And of course, uh, help me attract some advertisers because I do this for free right now and you get your money's worth. Let me tell you, uh, there's a lot of great things happening here on Deep Dish Radio and we want you to be a part of it. And I want to keep doing this and I want to keep bringing you these interesting interviews. So the best thing you can do is tell everybody you know about Deep Dish Radio. Tweet it out. Uh, if you want to tweet me, I'm at, uh, at Deep Dish Radio. And I have a new email address if you want to get in touch with me. My new email address is Tim at DeepDishRadio.com. It's Tim at DeepDishRadio.com. Or, of course, you can pick up the phone and you can uh, leave a message on my hotline. In the United States, you can call 865-4-TIM-SAYS. 865-4-T-I-M-S-A-Y-S. And uh, that's my voicemail. It actually allows you to leave a message that, uh, if you'd like, I can play here on the show. I'd love to hear from you. Love hearing from my audience. You guys are fantastic. Thank you very, very much for listening. It's always a pleasure to bring you these interviews. 
Uh, here's Bruce. Hope you like what you hear. Deep Dish Radio. It's Deep Dish Podcast. Subscribe today and tell a friend about Deep Dish Podcast with Tim Powers. With Tim Powers. Um, you were kind of introduced professionally in the industry by uh, by Tommy James, and you co-wrote some music with him, and and your experiences with him kind of taught you a little bit about the business and got you in there. Can you talk about how you got involved with Tommy? Sure. Uh, I, um, I was a, a student at St. John's university and I had my band alive and kicking, uh, which, uh, was playing, uh, clubs, you know? So basically I worked my way through college playing clubs with my band and, uh, we were playing at a club in Manhattan called the Cheetah, which was on uh, 52nd Street, um, right off 8th Avenue. And um, uh, our manager somehow knew uh, Tommy James's wife. <laughs> okay. Coincidentally, you know, uh, he lived on 8th Avenue at the time. He lived on 8th Avenue and 54th Street, literally you know, like a right around the corner from where we were playing. So it was really easy for him to come and see us. And uh, so somehow he got talked into coming to see us and saw us and liked the band. And, uh, <clears throat> you know, I, you know, I was an aspiring songwriter who, um, you know, basically at that point hadn't really ever been in a recording studio because, you know, in those days, it's not like it is now. It was much more difficult to record um uh, and getting in a studio, you know, there, there wasn't, you know, there wasn't, uh, it, you know, it was, studios were hard. Right. And you had to rent into. time it and it was expensive. It's yeah, not like you know, now where yeah, you can were, spend a hundred exactly, bucks and have a, have a quality recording. Right. You know, so, uh, it was, it was difficult and it was always a dream to get in the studio and, you right. know, and, uh, <clears throat> so he came and saw the band and he liked the band and, uh, Basically, what ended up happening is that on breaks, when I would have breaks from, you know, we would do six sets a night uh, wow. at, the, at the club. And so when I would have, you know, a half hour break, I would go to his apartment and uh, try and write with him, you know, because uh, I wanted to be a songwriter. And I, I, I so uh, that's what happened. So, you know, after, after eventually somehow um we stumbled onto uh ball of fire and, and um you know that happened and and also you know even in the making of the record he was the one uh, also at the time there was this studio uh called allegro uh studios and it was in uh, in the basement of 1650 broadway which was what which was not the brill building but it was kind of like the second music building in Manhattan. Yeah, it was real uh, close. There were lots of, <clears throat> lots of uh, you know, music-related uh, offices and business going on in that building. And in, the, and in the basement, there was this recording studio that a lot of artists back in the day used. And this is where Tommy recorded. So um, 
he, you know, also on those on breaks from sets, if he was in the studio, I would go in and sit in and, and watch him record, you know, Crimson and Clover, you know, Crystal Blue Persuasion, um, all these songs. And, and, and uh, you know, sometimes, you know, he would let me sing a background. But the, the, the real thing was, you know, to watch how a record was made and, and really how a pop song was, you know, was written. Yeah. I mean, uh, and so uh, ultimately what happened, uh, he then went on to write a song and produce my band alive and kicking. And the following year, and uh, we had a hit song called tighter tighter, which Tommy wrote and produced for my band. Right. Um, so, uh, you know, and the, uh, you know, the funny thing about that for me is that, you know, there was an alive and kicking album that, that was made as a result of that song being a hit. And, you know, Tommy wrote the one song and then on the alive and kicking album, I wrote the other nine songs and it's it's you know it's almost an embarrassment to me when I look back on it now you know. Um, so you got song, the B side you know, of the single, right? Uh, did I get the B side of the single? I guess I did. I, I don't even remember it. Oh yes, I did. It was a song called Sunday Morning. Yeah, which was actually not a bad song. It was probably and that particular song never made it to the album. This is how crazy I, I was in those days. But yeah. but. Um, so the B side wasn't on the album, and it was probably the better, the best, the, you know, the best song that I had written. Other, you know, sure. other than, uh, <clears throat> but you know, there, there were songs on that album called you know, Mississippi Mud and Kentucky Fire and Junction Creek, and all, you know, here was I was a kid growing up in Brooklyn, Flatbush, and, yeah, you know, yeah, in Flatbush, and I had, you know, I knew nothing about Kentucky, Mississippi, or <laughs> I probably never even saw, never saw a creek. You know, so, you know, but the thing is, is that I was, you know, aspiring to write, but I was writing about things that I knew nothing about. And um, so, but, you know, I, the thing, you know, I've been, the thing that's really great about being a songwriter and, you know, what I've come to learn is that, you know, you you keep growing uh, and you can, and you keep improving and refining your craft. And, uh, you know, there's really, you know, um, no uh, age limit on inspiration, you know, and as long as you keep living, uh, you can keep writing and, and uh, having something to say. And uh, this was something that, you know, I didn't know, but, but as I've gone on, I've learned. And it's, you know, it's been a pleasant surprise for me because, uh, I feel that I've continued to grow and continue to learn and continue to get better as a writer. So, uh, and I say that not in, uh, in, a, in coming from a place of pride, but just as to inspire and encourage other people who are writing. That's, you know? Yeah. And, and I, and I get it. And it, you know, not just writing, but any creative endeavor, um, just continue to grow and continue right. to experience, I think is, is your lesson. Yeah. Now, That's you know, bef while, uh, while alive and kicking is, is coming up in its own and you're, you're developing as a songwriter. Do you remember what your really early influences were? You know, what was it that made you pick up a guitar? What was it that made you want to write songs? Who did you want to be, Bruce? <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, I was inspired by, by the, you know, Lieber and Stoller and, and, and basically, the, you know, the, those 
Brill building songwriters, the Carol Kings, the the Neil Diamonds, you know, but they were, you know, just a um, a, a few years ahead of me, and, and uh, you know, my my initial uh, inspiration in music was, you know, as a as a preteen when uh, I would go to the shows at the Brooklyn Paramount and the Brooklyn Fox and and uh, see all these groups and see all these acts. I mean, that that's kind of where, you know, the music bug got in my system. But uh, I, I actually, you know, didn't see myself as a performer. My inspiration and my aspiration was always to be a writer. So um, uh, it was those early Brill building songwriters that I really, you know, aspired to be. That's really interesting because, you know, I've talked to some songwriters and their inspiration was Elvis or Dylan or, you know, or, or the time that they saw Hard Day's Night, you know, and it's, it's, yeah. and it's an interesting perspective to, you know, bypass the artist's name and look at the writing credits and go, huh, there's a common denominator there. That's really interesting and become a fan yeah. that way. Yeah. Well, you know, and that's, that's also, you know, as a kid, when I would buy a 45, I was well aware that under the song title in little parentheses, there was the name of the songwriters. Right. And, and so, <clears throat> you know, I, I, I would look at that. That was the first thing I would buy, look at when I would buy a, a, a 45 was you know, who wrote this song, you know? And right. uh, so I don't know why that, that was my pull, but that, that was always my, the attraction for me. Yeah. Cause it's and, interesting. And that, <clears throat> Go ahead. Yeah. Man. And that's not, that's not to say that I didn't like to perform because I love to perform and I love to play live, you know, and I've been doing that since, you know, my early teens. Um, but, you know, the artistry side of it for me was, was always to want, want to be a songwriter. So that's really interesting. Cause you know, you think about that, uh, you think about that time and, you know, cousin Brucey didn't come on and go, Hey, it's, you know, locomotion. And he mentioned Little Eva and nobody else, <laughs> you know. Right. And um, right. so, so you know, it's a testament to you to the to the music fan within you that you could uh, that you could spot that as you bought your singles. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I guess. <laughs> but <laughs> <laughs> just take it, man. Come on. Um, yeah. uh, Alive and Kicking had its had its hit, and uh, and you transitioned to Brooklyn Dreams. Yeah, Alive and Kicking had its hit, and and. Uh, you know, I, you know, I always tell the story that um, when Alive and Kicking had its hit, I became a real a jerk, you know, uh, to where I was firing people in the band. And, uh, you know, I, I, I you know, I, I was a kid who, who was, who had never, you know, had any um, hardship you know, I, I grew up in a middle-class family. I went to great schools. I had a great education. Right. Uh, I, you know, I, I got out of school, and before I graduated, I had a hit song. You know, right after, after the, the hit song that I wrote, my band had a hit song. So, you know, here I was, this kid, and I just thought, you know what? This is easy. So you're barely 22 and, and, years old, right? Yeah, yeah, exactly. And, and, and I thought it was easy, and I took it for granted. And I thought, you know, it was all because of how smart I was. And um, so quickly thereafter, you know, I, you know, started, you know, 
writing the songs and controlling everything myself and firing people in the band and uh, wound up going nowhere and, and uh, went into, spiraled into a, a depression and quit the band. And, um, you know, basically at that point, I moved back into the basement of my parents' house and uh, spent a year just in the basement writing and, and you know, soul searching and, and um, trying to understand, you know, a, a little bit about what life was really about and, and uh, you know, coming to terms with the fact of how fortunate I was and how uh, difficult it really is to be, you know, to have success and, um, you know, uh, like that. So <clears throat> after that period of time, I moved out to L.A. and, and subsequently uh, formed Brooklyn Dreams. Well, you know, uh, but that was that was a few years later. That's an an interesting transition, Bruce. I mean, you're you're at, to to paraphrase, you're kind of an arrogant kid with two hit records. You think you've got the the world by the tail, and you kind of you get your comeuppance a little bit socially. Retreat to mom and dad's basement and go through an arc to kind of experience, um, you know, to 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 lick your wounds and kind of learn what you need to experience. Um, what yeah. kind of things happened during that, during that phase, you know, during mom and dad's basement to bring you to the point where you, where you learned the lessons that you needed? Well, what kind of things happened? Well, I, I mean, uh, you know, I, the thing was, was that I did a lot of listening. I mean, I continued to play, you know, I would put bands together and I continued to play in clubs and, uh, and, and it, uh, a lot of that time uh, in the bands that I would play with would be Joe Esposito and Eddie Hoganson, who ultimately became uh, my partners in Brooklyn Dreams. Right. Uh, we were all in Brooklyn playing, you know, in similar bands. Sometimes we would play together, sometimes we would play in other bands, but uh, I knew them from back then. And uh, I spent a lot of time listening. I taught, That's when I taught myself to play the guitar, because uh, initially... Uh, I was a keyboard guy because, um, you know, my first instrument was an accordion. <laughs> and uh, so I, I, trans I transcended from the accordion into a, a Farfisa organ and then ultimately uh, bought the Hammond B3 uh, from the guy in the Chandelles. Uh, and I was that B3 player in Alive and Kicking. And um, <laughs> so... Um, uh, in mom's basement, that's when I picked up the guitar and, and learned how to play the guitar and uh, uh, listened to a lot of music. And, and uh, that's really where I, uh, it was in those years in the basement where I wrote a lot of the songs that were on the first Brooklyn Dreams album. Um, funnily enough, but, uh, <laughs> you know, there was like six six of the ten songs uh, on the first Brooklyn Dreams album were written in, in the basement. Uh, in that phase, you know, uh, so, yeah, yeah, you get your, uh, you, you kind of, you get your head together. Brooklyn dreams kind of starts. And, um, I guess it's kind of a cliche for the time, but you got your head together and moved to LA, man. Is that, is that kind of what <laughs> happened? Or? Well, you know, the, the thing is, is that, um, you know, uh, I, I couldn't get arrested in New York, you know, I mean, everything, every song, I mean, you know, I was going to publishers and bringing songs around and, 
nobody was responding. Um, I wrote um, I wrote this one song and brought it up to this producer uh, who shall go on names and and uh, basically uh, he um, you know rewrote my whole song and it ended up being coming a uh, a D D Warwick record. And it did, couldn't even go into my name because I was a BMI writer and he was an ASCAP publisher and a writer. And so I had to make up a, a, a fake name uh, to even be on that song. And um, uh, so the, the, na- I, I, uh, the name that I chose uh, was um, my brother's name is Glenn. Right. So I took G for my brother Glenn's and I made Sedano pseudo because it was, uh, I, in my mind, it was a pseudonym. So the actual <laughs> name, my name on that particular record is G. Pseudo. Uh, <laughs> and actually, I've never told that story before. But, but uh, so but these, these were the kinds of things that was going on in that period when I was in the basement and writing and uh, still, you know, trying to make my way in New York and, you know, working clubs and trying to pitch songs, but not having any luck other than that, you know, uh, you know, that one record that got cut by D.D. Warwick. Right. And uh, so um, I, 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 you know, yeah, got my head together and moved to L.A., I guess. <laughs> well, <laughs> and, and you took your punches in New York, you know, and any good artist goes through a, a period of transition where, you know, you really got to suffer. And, and yeah. at the same time, you learn that it's a business. It's not like... You know the the Beatles analogy works a lot. Everybody thinks that they just came out of nowhere, but they forget those ten hour sets that they played in the Reaper Bond. Right, exactly yeah. in Hamburg. That's yeah. exactly right. So, so yeah, so yeah, that's that's what I was doing. I was playing clubs, you know, six nights a week, and, and uh, writing songs during the day, and uh, you know, surviving making a living i guess and so so yeah. la beckons and uh and you arrive in la just as people are starting to mutter the word disco is that about yeah, right? yeah I, I i guess i guess so you know um uh i got to la in 1976 and um i i guess disco was happening then i mean uh Donna, uh, when I met Donna, she just had had Love to Love You, Baby. So that that was kind of like, you know, uh, the the beginning of the disco, um, in, in a sense. That's a very but, safe statement. But, <laughs> yeah, but, but I mean, you know, I was also a guy that, you know, um, in, in Manhattan, when we we would get through playing, and I would go to clubs in Manhattan and go dancing. Right. You know, uh, this was in the early 70s and, you know, and, uh, you know, to Barry White records and, uh, you know, Marvin Gaye, what's going on and, and um, uh, you know, George McRae, you know, Rock Your Baby. I mean, these were these were predecessor songs to disco, but they, but, you know, they were being there was discotheques were already happening. Okay. You know, and it was mostly in the gay gay world because because I'm a straight man, but I, I in those days I would go to a lot of gay bars and 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 go dancing after after playing, you know, live music in you know the Electric Circus or whatever one, or you know Trudy Hell is whatever club I happen to be playing in, sure. uh, whether it be Manhattan or Brooklyn. Um, so, uh, you know, and and uh, you know I. I uh, was a big Motown fan as well as a big fan of the Rolling Stones. 
so so uh you know i had you know i i had a real affection for uh r&b music and soul music as we called it in those days right. uh as well as rock and uh you know uh, you know and the thing for me is is that um you know i was always driven to uh create uh something unique you know um I, I, when I got to LA, I, I was really surprised because that's kind of the culture that I came up in. You know, it was like Tommy James and the Shondells had a very definable sound, uh, as they, you know, a lot of the groups in those days, they were individual in their sound. Right. And, and um, so I was always driven to create something new, to have a, a new take on something or to combine elements to create something new. I, I wasn't, you know, trying to emulate, but it was interesting because when I got to LA and I started um, going into sessions and seeing how other producers worked, I was surprised to find how much, you know, they would have like, you know, the top 10 records, you know, of the day in the studio and would be spinning them and trying to, you know, write a groove off what was happening. I Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with and Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that and Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at bowlandbranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. I was like, wow. You know, and it was almost offensive to me. And, and it, it seemed, yeah, I mean, I understand it much better now and I, I can appreciate it now because it's just another, it's a different way of working. Right. But, uh, you know, my, my idealistic mentality in those days was that you know, that's not really creating something. That's, you know, you're kind of like borrowing from somebody else. And, you know, I, it didn't have any validity to me. You know, I, I later learned that that is a wrong perception, you know, uh, because even, you know, uh, in the contemporary art world, you know, I'm, I'm around a lot of contemporary artists these days. And, right. you know, they, they will conceive of an idea, and, and uh, but they will have other people, you know, uh, implement it. And, um, so, so it, it was an interesting learning experience to me. So, so when I got to LA and Brooklyn dreams were formed, you know, to me, you know, we, we weren't trying to be a, a disco band. We, we were, you know, we were a hybrid of, of, uh, rock, you know, soul and disco. And that, that was, um, the, the initial um, driving force, uh, I think, of Joe, Eddie, and myself. We, you know, we wanted to be a hybrid. 
Right. So like on that first Brooklyn Dream, you know, that first Brooklyn Dreams record, you know, we 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 were influenced by the Temptations and we were influenced by the Stones and we were influenced a little bit by, by the dance music of what was happening. And, you know, I always um, appreciated uh, about disco music was, uh, you know, the musical arrangements, the string arrangements, the horn arrangements. I always thought that, you know, that, that those things had a great sense of musicality and you know as a songwriter you know i remember you know longing to be able to get into a studio and have a a string arrangement on one of my songs i mean you know this was like a you know a dream yeah so so in making that first brooklyn dreams album uh album you know it it, our our desire was to incorporate all these elements of of rock and soul you know with string arrangements and, and also a little bit but also uh, based around uh, a real good, a well-written song, you know, with, with a point and a message. And, and uh, you know, too often in those days, I, I used to feel like a lot of the R&B songs were, you know, lyrically were, um, you know, just basic love songs. And, and uh, you know, so I, I think I was driven to try and take elements of, you know, of the way a Dylan would write a song or a Springsteen would write a song and, 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 and incorporate it with, you know, the soul with the string arrangements. And so, um, you know, there, there's a song in the first uh, Brooklyn Dreams album called Street Dance, which, you know, was for me uh, uh, the, uh, the predecessor of what ultimately became uh, a, a song I co-wrote with Joe and Eddie and Donna called Bad Girl. Right, which became uh, a big hit, but it was it was street dance on the Brooklyn Dreams album that, you know, and that was a song that I wrote back in Brooklyn in my mother's basement in those days, huh. uh, those years prior. Prior, right. So, uh, you know, anyway, I'm talking a lot about things that I haven't spoken about in a long time. <laughs> you know, I couldn't be happier about it, Bruce. Really, um, I mean, there's so much to look forward to, but your your career just is is so interesting to me. So I'm I'm glad to I'm glad to hear about it. Um, with the um, and I mean the the production at that time is just a a, a personal interest uh, of mine. Um, so Brooklyn Dreams puts together a few albums. Has its has its hit. Heaven knows was a monster. Uh, from from my recollection and from my research, you know, yeah, um, yeah, and uh, and then uh, and then disco explodes, and you are quite literally standing at the forefront, uh, at the side of uh, someone who is inarguably the queen of disco. You know, yes, Can, yeah, uh, 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 yeah, yeah. So, so you know that that uh, happened. Uh, in 1977, um, right before, right as Brooklyn Dreams got its record deal, um, we were living out in Los Angeles. As I said before, we couldn't get arrested in New York. We came, we come to LA, and you know, uh, we, we're here a matter of months, and uh, we have a couple of record deal offers, and so we end up. Um, signing with uh, a, co- a new company that was called Millennium. Right. And uh, it was a company based out of New York. And initially we were told that, okay, you're going to go to New York to record your album. <laughs> <laughs> so we're like, okay. Uh, 
and we give up our apartments and we're ready to go to New York. And literally, you know, like the week before we're, we're leaving, they call us back and they say, no, you know what? There's been a change. You're going to record in Los Angeles. You, uh, uh, we ended up um, going out to Irvine, California, which at the time was really rural, rural, if I can say that word properly. Yeah. <clears throat> and um, um, there was this, new studio being built out there. And somehow the record company made this deal with uh, uh, the people at the studio there. The studio was brand new. And, and um, so we weren't going to New York and we had no place to live. So we called our friend, uh, Susan Mineo, who was the head of publicity at Casablanca Records. Uh, Susan was uh, a girl from our neighborhood in Brooklyn. Uh, and, uh, so, and we said, hey, look, we don't have a place to live right now because we're moving to, Ir they're moving us to Irvine because we're recording in Irvine. Can we stay at your place for a few nights? And she said, of course, come on. So literally the three of us were sleeping on the floor of her living room in her apartment on Benedict Canyon. And, uh, and one Sunday Donna showed up because Donna was on Casablanca records and Susan was the publicity director. And, right. and, and, and that's basically how we met. And, uh, literally Joe, Eddie, and myself and Donna from day one just started writing songs. And, um, uh, you know, we became the four of us became really good friends and, and, uh, <clears throat> You know, at the time I had a girlfriend, I had a boyfriend, and, and uh, you know, so there was that situation going on. And uh, were there sparks right uh, away? Yeah, it was it was pretty quick. It was pretty quick. And uh, you know, it, it, funnily enough, the day that Donna came to Susan's house, she was uh, getting a driving lesson because she never had a driver's license. Wow. And 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 then uh, subsequently. <clears throat> she would end up driving out to Irvine, you know, and, and a ride, you know, that was, you know, this was no cell phones in those days, you know, and a, lot, a ride that, you know, would take maybe an hour, 15 minutes or an hour and 20, you know, she would call when she would leave, she was leaving. And then literally three hours later, we're like, what happened to Donna? You know, she, but, uh, she was learning how to drive and getting lost and finding her way out to Irvine. And, uh, and, uh, so anyway, she ended up singing uh, a part on our uh, on one song on the first Brooklyn Dreams album, "Old Fashioned so, uh, Girl," right? Old, old Fashioned Girl. I did my homework. Uh, which is <laughs> yeah, which is another one of those songs that I wrote back in uh, Mama's basement in Brooklyn. Right. And, and uh, <clears throat> yeah, so yeah, on, onwards and onwards, and there you go. <laughs> and then, uh, so the first album comes out on Millennial, and then uh, yeah. the the next three are all on Casablanca, right? Yeah, so somehow, you know, I mean, there was, there was, uh, you know, Donna at that point was exploding. Right. Um, you know, we started our relationship and, and there was a lot of uh, pressure from the record companies, my record company and her record company, because uh, uh, my record company was saying to me, Bruce, you're going into this relationship. You're going to destroy your career. You're, you're going to ruin your career, career because you're always going to be in the shadow of this. And, and her record company was concerned because they want to control her. And, and, you know, they don't want her distracted by a relationship and, and all, you know, and whatever. So it was, 
So ultimately what happened is Casablanca Records bought out the Brooklyn Dreams contract from Millennium. Wow. And it was something we had no control over. And next thing we knew, we're on Casablanca and they're telling us, you know, they want us to make a disco album. And um, so it, it, it was. Uh, I guess if you're it, on Casablanca, you know, that's what you do. Yeah, no, exactly. And, and so, you know, so we uh, that's when we made the Sleepless Nights record uh, <clears throat> produced by Bob Estee. Right. And, and uh, but, you know, it was definitely, uh, you know, after the first Brooklyn Dreams album, on Millennium, we we were talking about, you know, going to uh, uh, the South and being produced by Johnny Sandlin, who was like a guy that produced the Allman Brothers. Right. I mean, we, want, we, we, we wanted to go in more of a rock direction. And once we were on Casablanca, that was completely off the table. So, yeah. um, but think, anyway. I, mean, I don't think Casablanca ever recorded an album in Muscle Shoals, did they? I don't think probably so, no. not. <laughs> no, no, no. That would have uh, been an interesting thing to hear, though, man. That really would have yeah, been interesting. Yeah, yeah, oh yeah. <clears throat> it sure would have, but it never happened. <laughs> yeah. And uh, so, uh, and and there you are. So yeah. F- fast forward to 2015, and um, 2015. Yeah, with uh, with all due yeah. respect to where you are right now, man. Um, to to use a, a a cliche, what a long strange trip! Here you are, uh, a man and a yeah. guitar, you know, and a and a yeah. bare bones band in a in a studio in Burbank. Yes, you know, strip, yeah, well, stripped yes. down well, and being the you songwriter know, you always wanted to be. Exactly, you know, it, it's funny how life will take you. You know, I never anticipated, you know, this phase of my life. I mean. Uh, you know, my wife getting sick and passing away was uh, certainly a shock and a surprise and and uh, a great adjustment. You know, yeah. I mean, uh, you know, I, I, my life was heading in a completely different direction. You know, we we had, you know, we were coasting along and and uh, getting ready. You know, not not to you know. Not, not to uh, ride off into the sunset, as we, but but you know we were in a different part of our life, and all of a sudden I found myself in a situation where I was back my, by myself again, and the yeah. only thing I knew to do was to go back to basics and uh, put a band together and write some songs and start playing. And um, it, it's been uh, a very interesting uh, journey, and it's been challenging, but challenges are good. And, um, you know, I've always had the luxury of being surrounded by great singers, you know, uh, you know, Donna, you know, in my opinion, one of the greatest singers ever. Yeah. And, uh, and, and in Brooklyn dreams, Joe Esposito and Annie Hokanson are both great singers, you know? So for me to, at this point in my life to be the guy to say, okay, now, not only are you the writer, you're going to be the singer, um, was, uh, a challenge, um, but it's it's been it's been I've really been thriving on it and it's been good for me because it's given me places where I still have to grow and, and um, so you know I just did this European tour and, and um, 
you know, it was it was the first time. I mean, I've been playing shows, you know, the last year and a half, but this European tour was, you know, three weeks of night after night of doing the show. Yeah. So I've really been able to evolve and refine myself and really, really start to hone in on who I am as a solo artist. And, and uh, so uh, it's been really ex- exciting for me and challenging and uh you know, uh, it's it's a discovery. So I'm I'm still discovering myself at this point in my life, which is kind of funny. <laughs> Not really, because you're still breathing. I mean, and that's that's how we started this interview. As long as you're breathing, yeah. there's always something to learn, and there's always something to create. And yeah, th- there you go. And and that's okay. why I think the arc of you know Bruce Sudano's career is so interesting. They go from you know a kid who had a hit before he was 19 years old. To yeah. you know, um, you know, a, a front row seat at the top of the pop music world in the '70s to where you are right now, um, yeah. just you know, completely exposed as an artist and really uh, finding your heart at a whole new phase in your life that you've never had before. And the stuff that is coming out is so good; it's so good. Yeah. Um, Thank you. Uh, I'll tell you, there's a there's a common theme that I've seen in a lot of the the, the new songs which are sacrifice and responsibility and especially common sense, which hit me between the eyes when I heard common sense today. Uh, I was like, what a great anthem for the election. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. I think, uh, you know, I, you know, I, I really feel um, that song, you know, it's interesting because, you know, songs, I don't know. You know, as even though I've been writing for so long, you know, songs are such gifts. And, uh, you know, I, I'm surprised. I, I get surprised by a song as well as anybody else. Even, even you know, regardless of the fact that I write, I, I, I may have written a song. Because once it's out, I don't know how it got there. And, and uh, um, so... Common sense. Uh, I'm, I'm like going, wow, this is really a song of the moment, and I, I think it's a message that really needs to be heard right now. And, and uh, regardless of the fact that I'm singing it and/or wrote it, it's just, uh, you know, a song that it's a message that needs to be heard in, in the world right now. And uh, so, uh, is, it's a message that I harmonizes with you. It's a message that harmonizes with your worldview. You, I mean, it came from the heart. Without a doubt. Well, all you know, right. that's, that's, that's where all my songs come from, really. Awesome. You know, you know, people always say to me, you know, well, you know, how, how, you know, how have your, you know, how did you write these hits or how did you write, and, and you know, my, my songs, typically, I always say, you know, the ones that become successful, it's usually by accident, you know, and that I've never been the kind of pop songwriter who, um, you know, can go in a room and write uh, a nifty uh, um, pop, you know, obvious hit. It's, it's, it's not my gifting. You know, I always, yeah. you know, my songs are usually stories and, and come out of some kind of uh, emotional um, situation in my life or somebody else's life that I observe, you know. Um, so, uh, you know, so a song like Starting Over Again or, or a song like Bad Girls or even Common Sense are, are not typical pop songs. It's it's not what I'm good at. And, and uh, I've tried to do it. 
you know, and uh, during the course of my career, and it, it's, I just write bad, you know, commercial songs. I mean, that, that's to be honest. <laughs> You know, I mean, it's just I'm just not good at that. You know, it's uh, you know, I'm, I'm very good friends with a man named Giorgio Moroder, who I'm sure you are, who, who you know who Giorgio is. Right. But 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 uh, you know, he always says to me, Bruce, why can't you be more commercial? And I'm like, Giorgio, I wish I could. You you know you know you are the most commercial you know person in the world maybe, but it's it's just not well you know. I, I, I just don't do it well, but uh, but I'm, I'm I'm grateful for the gifting that I have, and you know, and and I think that's something that took me a long time to learn, you know, and 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 that that lesson is, you know, for any writer or any artist, you know, is you have to be who you are, you know, and you know you you can't compare yourself or or uh, judge yourself. You know, it's it's always an individual challenge to be the best you that you can be, and and to you know play up your own strengths and and work on your own weaknesses, and, and um, you know, and and that's that's you know the the uh, a lesson that you know it took me a while to learn, and that's the lesson that got you to Burbank sessions, huh? It is without a doubt. Wow. It's and it's and it's the lesson that you know when uh, you know when I go on stage and I and I'm uh, and I and I have uh, you know and I'm nervous to sing or or uh, or I feel insecure. I I just say you know stay in the song, let the song speak, yeah. and uh, um, and then you'll be fine. And uh, and that's the truth you know so uh uh so you know in in spite of you know the tragedy in my life you know i i'm a very grateful person and, and uh um uh i i i'm very grateful for the life that i had and uh um you know it it's uh, it's the grace of god and uh um you know because you know we all try hard and uh you know, so uh, I've been a blessed man. Yeah, and and you know, like we say, your your heart's still beating, so there's still there's still life to live. You know, you're, oh yeah, baby, and they're still creating oh, to do. Yeah. So that being said, what's the plan for 2016? Is there a tour? Is there another album? Is there uh, a Broadway musical based on the the music of uh, Bruce Sudano? <laughs> uh, no, well, no, uh, they're, they're uh, 2016 is is uh, right now. Um, uh, I just got back from Europe. I just right. did basically six six weeks in Europe, so uh, I'm uh, here. I'm home for the holidays. I'm here for into the new year, and then uh, over this first part of the year, I'm going to be doing some songwriting. And uh, uh, March, I'm, I'm I'll be heading out to play shows. I'm going to start uh, by appearing uh, at some things in, at South by Southwest, and then I'm going to do uh, an East Coast run of shows and then probably come around back to the West coast and do a run of shows and, uh, um, you know, keep writing along the way. And once I compile enough songs to make another record, I'll, I'll do that. I don't, I don't know when that happens. Um, but, uh, it'll happen when it's time, right? It'll, it'll happen when it's time. Right. Exactly. Cool. So, uh, that's, that's where it's at. 
Well, then, uh, if you, listener, are uh, ready to see Bruce, uh, this is the place to go to find out. What's your, um, how's your how's your social media set up, Bruce? Where can people find out more about you and, and your tours and pick up these albums? Um, BruceSedano.com, Facebook, uh, Twitter, Instagram, all the obvious places. All the usual suspects. All the usual suspects and... and uh, and and it, and when I'm in LA, uh, my favorite place to play is Genghis Cohen. Yeah, which is, uh, <laughs> <laughs> which is uh, been there forever, and, and uh, uh, so on Fairfax, and I'll probably at some point in February I'll do a couple nights in Genghis. So uh, I'll be posting that. So if anybody's in LA and wants to come out, I'd appreciate seeing everybody. Man, you'll see me there. The 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 sound in that room is so good. Yeah, it's a, it's a great little room, and, and uh, I, have a, I, have a, I have a very fond affection for it. <laughs> so, Very cool. Are, are your girls in L.A. for the holidays, your daughters? Yeah, uh, well, uh, two of them are. Brooklyn and Amanda are. Well, uh, uh, Amanda is on the road uh, right now. She's uh, uh, My daughter Amanda is in, a, is a, is in a, a duo with her husband. They're called Johnny Swim. Maybe some of you... Uh, no Johnny Swim. If not, check them out. They actually just finished doing uh, three nights at the Troubadour. Very cool. Uh, here in LA, and they're on. Uh, they're on. They do. A, they're doing a Christmas tour. This is their second annual Christmas tour, where they uh, <clears throat> doing a tour of the states, uh, where they do some of their own songs and do a lot of Christmas songs. And uh, they wind up at the Ryman Auditorium in Nashville on December 21st, and then they're back to LA. And uh, yeah, so we'll be together for Christmas. And uh, like that, so how exciting! Yeah, and my daughter Brooklyn is an actress. Uh, she is currently uh, on a show called Ballers, which is on HBO. Uh, and so uh, she's uh, doing well. And uh, my daughter Mimi is uh, the mother of four. Wow! And uh, yeah, so uh, so the family is uh, thriving and uh, carrying on. And respecting the legacy of uh, Donna, and, and uh, <clears throat> doing the best we can. So beautiful. There, there you go. That's a great place to stop, Bruce. Thank you very much. It's been a real pleasure. Yeah. And uh, yeah, same here, Tim. Thank as, you. As the next album comes out, uh, I hope you'll you'll look to us and and come back and hang out. Without a doubt, we'll definitely do it. I appreciate it very much. Good talking. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. 
Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns.